Well, would you turn in your Bibles with me now to Genesis chapter, chapter 3, the third chapter of the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 3, God, of course, has given us the account here of the creation of the heaven and the earth, of the Garden of Eden, the man Adam, his wife Eve, and the Lord has pronounced it all very good. But when we come into chapter 3, we've seen the scene and the mood, if we could put it that way, changes. There's something now sinister is going to take place. Satan hasn't been at all pleased with this work of God. And uh, he's going to do his best to wreck it and ruin it. So uh, now the serpent. But it will be helpful for us to remember here that the serpent at that moment in time was not a slithering, repulsive, poisonous snake, but uh, could well have been an upright animal. Uh, even a flying serpent, uh, which seemed to come down at this time from heaven on high as a messenger from heaven. He would have been the animal, strikingly beautiful and colorful, and so the scene has been set. It seems that Eve didn't know what to think of this talking creature, but uh, she was not alarmed by this uh, creature this time, but just not quite sure what, what's taking place here. Um, so this, this would, uh, again, tell us that a stage has been set here by Satan himself for his great temptation, so far as Eve on this occasion is concerned. Well, we'll begin our reading at the verse number one. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, he starts with the word of God. He hates the word. Yea, hath God said... He shall not eat of every tree of the garden. He's trying to put everything in the negative. But this is the response of Eve. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. That's pretty clear. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and she plunged in so doing the whole human race in sin. She took of the fruit thereof. Satan had won the day for a time and did eat and gave also one to her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, 
And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest uh, to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the goller God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. So neither Adam nor Eve were prepared to take responsibility. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field. In the opening verse of the chapter, it speaks of the serpent being more wise and subtle than any beast of the field. What a change is taking place now. And this is what the Lord said to the serpent, Upon thy belly, a change is taking place. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. We'll end the reading there, looking to the Lord at his own blessing, his necessary blessing to the reading from his precious word. Perhaps we could just pause for a moment's word of prayer. Our gracious God, our loving Father, we just plead with thee now as we come to thy word that thou give us the help of heaven, give us the help of God, the Holy Ghost, and we pray that, Lord, thou wilt speak to souls in need of Christ this very night, this very hour, here in this building and further afield, that there might be souls who will pass from death unto life. Encourage thine own believing people when we consider what God hath done to the souls of ours. Sin deserve it. We, we thank thee God hath done great things for us, and the best is yet to be. We, we pray especially for any in need of the Savior that tonight Thou wilt redeem them by thine own precious blood, for we ask it in the dear Savior's name and for his sake. Amen. God's first question to man. We find it here in Genesis 3, and the verse number 9, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? This personal, and it is personal, and pointed question is the first recorded question that God ever asked of man. And it is the first question that he puts to individual men and individual women today. In up-to-date language, it simply means, how do you stand before God and in the light of eternity? What is your spiritual condition? And the circumstances and the fact that uh, in which these questions, and this question was asked, are outlined for us here in Genesis chapter 3, which records a shameful fall into sin. And the fact that it is God himself who asks the question makes it tremendously important that we face up to it and answer the question honestly before the Lord. You see, the Lord God who created and who sustains you asks, where art thou? Certainly, God created our first parents. And just as certainly, he has created you and he has created me. And therefore, he has a right to know. Where art thou? All things were made by him, and without him was nothing made that was made. And these verses tell us how God 
has created us, and that same God who creates us is the one who sustains us, who cares for us, who watches over us, and supplies every need. And it is this God who comes to us, and he asks, Where art thou? And then the God against whom you have sinned asks, Where art thou? In Genesis chapter 2, we have the record of the way in which sin entered into the world. But we must be careful to see that through the sin of our first parents, the whole human race has been involved. We have been involved in this rebellion against our Creator and against our Maker. We read in Romans 5. I'll read the verse for you. Romans chapter 5 and uh, the verse number 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. We have sinned in Adam, and we have sinned actually. And it is a God against whom we have sinned that comes to ask us this question, Where art thou? And then the God from whom you are hiding asks, Where art thou? In Genesis chapter 3, we have here the account of Adam and Eve afraid now to meet God. A terrible change has taken place. To face the consequences of their sin. They're hiding, seeking to hide from the Lord. It tells us there the great efforts, the painstaking efforts that Adam and Eve took to hide themselves from the Lord their God. Of course, no one. It's great folly to think this. We can hide. No one can hide from him. Do not I fill heaven and earth, every particle of space God inhabits. And therefore, there's nowhere we can run, nowhere we can hide that will take us from the view of the Lord our God. This is the God with whom we have to do. And all men and women over this world, young people, are trying to hide themselves from God. They're trying to hide perhaps some tree, as Adam and Eve did. The tree perhaps of profession. It's good to make a profession, but not an empty one. You must not only have profession, you must have possession. You must possess Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Maybe it's the tree of church attendance. Maybe once a week you come. Well, that'll do me. That will give a fair, favorable show to others about my spiritual condition. And so you're hiding. Hiding, perhaps, church attendance behind some profession. Do you know what's going to happen? One day, God's going to cut every one of those trees down. No place to hide. I had a farmer come to our property in Risharkin, two-acre property full of trees. I love trees. I used to be in my element going out and walking amongst the trees. And not hiding from the Lord, as Adam and Eve did here, but just going about and seeing the wonderful hand of God's creative power. And he said to me, he said, you know, if I owned this property, I would cut down every one of these trees. I said, what? It cut down every one of these trees? How many years did it take to grow to the state they are now? No, every tree. He was a farmer. I don't speak ill of farmers when I say that, but, you know, there's a sense in which God, every tree that sinners are hiding behind, God is going to cut down. And they're going to be open and naked to the eye of him with whom they have to do. 
Ah, we must realize tonight that no tree, no excuse, nothing can hide us from the all-seeing eye of God. And the Bible tells us, Hebrews 4 and verse 4, that all things are open and naked under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And then the God to whom we must give an account asks, where thou? Adam and Eve could not escape, and no man can. Hebrews 9 and 27 tells us it is appointed unto man once to die, but after that the judgment. It is appointed unto man once to die. You're not going to be reincarnated. Once to die, and after that the judgment. What a fearful thought. And this is the God with whom we have to do. There's a fearful portion in the Word of God. Above many, I'm thinking of Revelation chapter 20 and the verse number 12. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. So here they are. Nothing's changed. At the end of time, we see here that one occupying the great white throne. But what are men doing? They're fleeing. And uh, the view of his face, they seek to hide themselves from it and his face from them, whose whole face of the earth has fled away. No trees now. Man is still hiding, and there was no place for them, no place to hide. Some things never change. It was the very same back in the very first days of creation. Man hiding from God, from the face of God. And that day is coming to each and one of us. There are appointments in this earth that we gladly miss. We seek to cancel. I remember one occasion I had to get a tooth out, and I canceled uh, more than once. But here's an appointment we cannot delay, we cannot put off. It comes at God's appointed time, and every one of us are going to stand before the Lord our God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And it is this living God who asks the question, Where art thou? And then the God who loves and seeks sinners like you and me asks, Where art thou? Isn't this very wonderful? We marvel that God did not come to Adam and Eve in anger. I'm sure if it had been me, I would have. God, in those opening chapters, created a marvelous creation including man, the apex of his creation. And uh, God pronounced it all very good. How good it must have been. We still see evidences of it, even in this earth that is cursed by sin. But still, we see the handiwork of God. And uh, God comes to them, doesn't chastise them immediately. But he says, where art thou? And... Uh, this creation of God had been wrecked and ruined. This marvelous creation. How devastated, we could use that word in the heart, God must have been. But he comes to them in love. And I want you to hear the tenderness and the compassion and the concern in this question that God asks of his children, where art thou? Why are you hiding? Where are you? Out of you and I were once in close fellowship. But you're far away from me now. You're in a state of danger. And he comes to Adam in love. He, he does not overlook his sin or condone his sin. How could he? 
but in mercy he makes a way in which Adam's sin can be dealt with and judged and his own soul redeemed. And that way is the gospel. And we have a wonderful picture of it there in the final verse of our reading, verse number 15, I will put enmity between thee and thy seed, and uh, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And that speaks to us very clearly of the death and the blood shedding of the Lord Jesus Christ. What a cost is involved in freeing man from this awful debt of sin. And every one of us incurred actually, and in the very state that we are in, in Adam in these particular days. So this then is the question that God asks every one of us. I would say even the Christians here tonight, where art thou? God doesn't ask the question, where were you? Where were you yesterday? No, where art thou right now? And God gives to us this thought that we must have this present, up-to-date experience of God. Where art thou right now, spiritually? We, we must have this present, up-to-date experiences of God, not what we experienced of God yesterday. That was wonderful. But we must have fresh experience of God today. Otherwise, we can't live the Christian life to its full enjoyment or for the glory of God. And so we could ask this question of ourselves. Sure we could. And so God comes tonight in love and mercy to our hearts and to our souls, and he asks every one of us the question, where art thou? Well, where art thou? God demands an answer. He deserves an answer, and he will have an answer. And he comes to us all tonight, and he asks the question, where art thou? Well, let us suggest some lines of inquiry that will help us to make a clear answer to God's question. Surely we must know where we stand in relation to God. Now, the first line of inquiry is this, and I hope to deal with these fairly briefly. Where art thou? Are you in Adam or in Christ? There are only two creations, the old and the new. Adam is the head of the old creation, but the Lord Jesus is the head of the new creation. That old creation is a sinful creation. Of course, by virtue of the sin of Adam and Eve. And all who belong to that old Adamic creation are spiritually dead and doomed. And this is why a second Adam to the fight and to the rescue came. He wasn't obliged to come, but he did come. And when the Lord came, he lived a life that we had failed to live. How miserable failures we are by virtue of sin. And then he died a death on the cross that we deserved to die and to rise again as the head of a new creation. Don't miss that. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature or a new creation. All things passed away and all things are becoming new. So Christ is the head of this wonderful, this new creation. Are you part of that old creation? Sinful creation? Or is it belong to the new creation? Where art thou? Are you an Adam? It's one of the two. Are you in Adam or in Christ? But by the grace of God tonight, I'm in Christ. I'm not part of that old, sinful, Adamic race. God has brought me out of that. He can bring you out of it tonight and give you a new heart and a new life and a new start. So where are you? 
Are you in Adam? Or are you in Christ? Two creations. And then, here's another line of inquiry. Where are you? Are you saved? Or are you lost? This is very scriptural language. And there are only two conditions of people. This has always been the case. And however respectable and refined or educated we may be, it is still true that we are either saved or lost. The Son of God came to seek. Notice that he came to seek. Before he saves, he's got to find the individual. God goes and seeks. So he came to seek, hiding sinners. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Where art thou? Are you saved or are you lost? You are either on the one or the other, for there is no in-between position. And if you say tonight, it should be the case with you that you're lost, well, thank God you can be saved. You can be saved just where you are. You can be saved this very night. Maybe it's been a number of years since uh, you've thought about this matter of being saved. Maybe in earlier days you did. But as time goes on, this is always the case, as time goes on, don't think that men and women will soften up. As we go on living in sin, our hearts become harder if possible against God. Never think that you're going to be disposed more at 60, 70, 80, coming near the end of your existence, that you're going to get more spiritual. All of a sudden, it doesn't happen that way. And maybe you can look back some 10 years ago and see the change. In 10 years, you looked ahead, you would never believe that you are, at this time, where you, should have been, where you would be. So from your perspective today, you're looking ahead and you're saying, My, I never thought I'd ever do the likes of that. I never believed I had the capacity to do that. Oh, you have it all right. And the longer we live, the sinner lives, the greater he learns how wicked and depraved and sinful his heart is. So, where art thou? Are you saved or lost? Here's another line of inquiry. Where art thou? Are you for Christ or against him? There are only two classes that we can take. And there's no neutral ground here, either in the physical realm, you're on this church property or you're not. It's one or the other. No in-between position. There's no neutral ground here. As the Lord himself made perfectly clear, if you're not for me, you're against me. And we're either on the side of Christ or on the side of his enemies. Now, which is true of you? Where art thou? It is terrible indeed to be consciously and deliberately lined up with the enemies of Christ, the enemies of his cross. And is that true of you? Are you content to let it be true? Surely not. I have been inundated with the various signs on the way down from and along with the political science, the number of election taking place. And uh, I thought, you know, if the Lord was running, he wouldn't, of course, but how many votes would he get? Uh, not very many. We seek, of course, to vote for those who have done us the best good that they can do and the least harm that they can do. But uh, with relation to the Lord Jesus Christ, I would ask the question tonight, what harm has he ever done you? 
you who are today out of Christ and you're lined up with the enemies of Christ. What harm has he ever done to your body or to your soul? He's done you nothing but good. And today finds you, body and soul, out of uh, the bed, out of hospital, out of the grave, out of eternity. And the goodness of God should lead you to a change of mind where no longer will you side with the enemies of Christ, but you side with Christ. He has done no harm to your soul, and the goodness of God should lead you to repentance. You should have a change of heart and mind to Christ. Oh, how good the Lord Jesus has been to you, body, heart, mind, and soul. Are you for Christ, or are you against him? One day you'll give an account. And here's another. Where art thou? Are you dressed in fig leaves or coats of skin? So there's only two coverings, two creations, two conditions, two classes, two coverings. Either, Genesis 3 and 21 or 3 and 7, the fig leaves, which Adam and Eve sewed together, of course that's man-made, speaks to us of our own righteousness, which is never acceptable before God. Because the revelation, or rather Isaiah tells us that all our righteousnesses, the sum total of them all, are as filthy rags in his sight. There's not a man on this earth, the Bible says, that does good and sinneth not. Adam's sin ruined creation. And Adam's sin, of course, is the sin that we often, we all of us commit. And that ruins. There's not a man on the earth, the Bible says, that does good and sinneth not. Sin ruins it all. And these aprons that they made speak to us of man's efforts to find acceptance with God. I want to read to you a verse, another verse in Romans. We find it in chapter 10 of that book in verse number 3. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness, willfully ignorant, and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And so... When we put on those old sinful rags, it's really rebellion. We're dressing in rebellion against the righteous claims of the Lord our God. But the coats of skin that God made tell us that an animal had been killed and the blood had been shed. And God himself had made provision already before Adam and Eve put those aprons on, a provision to be for them to be covered from their sin to be clothed upon. Uh, so the question must be asked, are you dressed in fig leaves, trusting in your own merit for acceptance with God, or are you dressed in a coat of skins which speaks to us of God's gracious provision and righteousness provided in the gift of a son? Where art thou? Are you dressed in fig leaves or coats of skin? And then finally, where art thou? Are you bound for heaven or are you bound for hell? There are only two courses, only two roads, two destinies. Jesus himself said so. And it would be illogical for any soul to think glowingly about heaven and turn away from all the solemn warnings in Scripture about the danger and certainty of hell for the unbeliever. If you were to die tonight, I'm not saying you are, but it's not it's outside the, the realms of possibility. 
I think when I took that stroke some three and a half years ago, how quickly it came, just like that. I had no time to prepare. And just as quickly, we can go tonight from the land of the living into eternity. And where are you going to be? In heaven? Or are you going to be in hell? A fearful thought. How many live this scene of time without hardly a second thought about where their souls are going to be in God's eternity? And I wonder tonight, where are you? God comes through his word tonight and he lovingly inquires, where are you? In relation to me, in my salvation, where are you? I pray tonight that you'll be found in Christ. You'll be found for Christ, clothed in Christ, and one day in heaven with Christ. Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? And you can guarantee tonight that it will take place. You'll be in heaven. Why? The Bible tells us, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's you. And if you tonight from a heart broken over sin, call out to God for mercy and for grace and salvation, he'll give it. You cannot ask why. He knows why. And tonight, you can start for heaven and for home, redeemed by the precious blood of the Lamb. Well, we'll just close tonight with a word of prayer. Our gracious God, our loving Father, we thank thee for thy precious word to our hearts and to our souls. And we pray that, Lord, thou be pleased to speak in power, and, O God, save those who need to be saved. Should there be those in this very gathering, or those listening online, give them deciding grace this very moment, this very hour, and may they pass from darkness unto light and from death unto life. Hear us, Lord. Abide with us now, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Perhaps we could sing a closing hymn together, the hymn number 256, 256, on the page 279. Where will you be in eternity? This question comes to you and me. Tell me, what shall your answer be? Where will you be in eternity? Maybe we could sing verses 1, 3, and 4 of the hymn 256.
Our gracious God, we confess that we stand back in marvel at individuals who go through this life never seem to consider where their latter end will lead them, and yet realize that but for the grace of God, it would be the same with all of us. We would live as though Christ never lived or died. What a fearful thought. But we thank Thee for the grace of God that intervened. God arrested us in our downward course, and going into an eternity that we lost and doomed and damned. And we pray that, Lord, in Thy great mercy and grace tonight, Thou wilt do it again for sinners under the listening of this message. O God, work that great miracle of redeeming grace in their hearts and souls. Make them a creature of Christ and born again of the Spirit of the living God. Lord, watch over us now as we take our leave one of the other. Keep us in the hollow of thy hand. And gracious Father, keep us in these days in the word of God, pleading the exciting great and precious promises of his. For we ask it in the dear Savior's name and for his sake. Amen.